Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We know that fatigue can play a significant role in your attention span. Fatigue can play a very, very significant role in how you interpret body language and emotion. So for instance, let's say you're fatigued, you know, that partial smile looks more like a flat frown. That flat frown looks more like a sad face and you're more apt to perceive anger or lash out and and be a little bit more emotional with that. I mean, simple, simple things like you just, you got to get sleep, right? I mean, we know what sleep does for us. It lets you recharge the battery lets your gut heal up, it lets your brain take out the trash, lets you consolidate memories. I mean, you will always be benefited by just having more sleep because you will be more resilient and more resistant to having distractions. You'll be able to say no. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of remarkably successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. On this episode, I interviewed Dr. Eric Reese, CEO and founder of Shift, an innovative consulting firm that's focused on prioritizing the business of health to improve the health of a business. While treating patients with neurological disorders and traumatic brain injuries, Dr. Reese became obsessed with understanding the connection between the brain and our physicality. As a neuroscience specialist, he sees the brain as limitless and calls it the final frontier of exploration. On the show, he shares his journey and we discuss why movement is the key factor in our mental health and well-being. He even goes as far as to say movement is the language of the brain. We discuss how we can train our brain to work for us instead of against us by using its efficiency to our advantage. He gives tips on how to optimize workplace productivity, talks about why gut health is so critical, and dispels some of the myths about how and why habits are created. A big believer in the role of fundamentals, Dr. Reese shares why sleep, nutrition, and movement are the key drivers to help us be less distracted, more productive, and happier both at work and in life. There's so much goodness that I broke this one into two parts, so I hope you enjoy part one of my interview with Dr. Eric Reese on this episode of Inside Out. Dr. Eric Reese, welcome to Inside Out. Hey, thanks for having me. I am thrilled. We got a chance to connect recently and we had a phone call that literally could have lasted for days. And I was so sorry to cut it short. We just hit it off instantly. And I the reason why it could have lasted that long is that I think there's so much to be learned about our brain, about the way our brain works. And it's frankly an endless conversation that we could have about how our brain really affects everything that we do. And so I was so intrigued by your journey, the career path you've taken, the work that you're doing with Shift. And so for the audience that doesn't know you yet, that hasn't learned your story, let's start there. I'd love to hear your background and story. Go back as far as you'd like to kind of give us a flavor of the Eric Reese story. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. The Eric Reese story. All right. Well, where to begin? I mean, I, I think the easiest place to start is as a child, I've 
I've just always been curious. And I think that that is something that I've retained into my adult years is just being curious about life. So I grew up in North Dakota and if you've ever been there, you realize that there's not always much to do in the winter. So sports and activities, <laughs> getting outside and, and being active is always my, my flavor. But I always look back, and we talked about this too on our, on our original uh, phone call. You know, when, when you start playing early childhood soccer games and, and all the kids are like huddling around the soccer ball and they're, they're all like running back and forth with the soccer ball. I was that kid where everyone else was running around the soccer ball and I was the one running the exact opposite way, chasing after like a butterfly or like a dragonfly, <laughs> right? So, you know, I was, I was a special child from an early age, I would say. But, you know, my, my upbringing, I was very fortunate. I had an amazing family, amazing upbringing. And, you know, when I had the opportunity to, to leave, I went to Minnesota, went to college, got my degree, and I just started studying the body and the brain and understanding sports performance and nutrition and how to really just kind of figure out the best way for me to help me update my own internal neurological software, right? So being an athlete, I've always wanted to be better, be faster, be stronger. When I got to college and I gained my freshman 25 pounds, <laughs> I realized really quickly that nutrition might have a role to play in all of this too. So when I was an undergrad, I just started studying exercise physiology and I had the luxury of working and doing some research with a neurologist who was studying neuroscience and who was specifically looking at these specific types of like neurological conditions, like uh, Parkinson's, different types of movement disorders, and essentially looking at like why these people move differently. And so that really intrigued me and took me down this this endless path of, of neuroscience where when I got into chiropractic school and I was studying the spine and the body and muscles and joints, I was like, there's, there's just so many more questions that I don't have answers to. And so I just kept pursuing neuroscience. And fortunately, that took me uh, out to the West Coast. I spent some time in Portland, Oregon, and I uh, got my neurology specialty and saw some really unique cases. And I've essentially spent the last seven years uh, treating a lot of uh, complex neurological conditions, concussions, brain injuries, a lot of dizziness disorders, vertigos, um, and, and really just experiencing what it's like to be in the forefront of treating trauma from a non-invasive therapeutic approach. So I've had a unique perspective on looking at the brain, and I think it's really opened my eyes up to understanding that the brain truly is limitless, and it truly is the final frontier. I mean, we will never know everything we would like to know about it, but that shouldn't stop us from trying to. You know, long story short, I've just been a big nerd my entire life, and I'm fortunate enough to get to connect with cool people like you who want to ask me questions and try and figure out some answers to life questions that we all have. So, Oh man. Well, the pleasure is mine to do so. And I'm glad that we connected and that I Me have too. the opportunity to pick your brain brother. Cause there, like you said, it's the endless sort of final frontier where we can explore endlessly and there's so many unknowns and yet we are learning so much on a daily basis. And so to kind of take us from your story to maybe some of the insights that you've had along the way, as you know, this show is all about those life moments that allow us to either take a pivot and shift what we're doing or perhaps accelerate what we're doing. Like if we have an epiphany or a moment that stands out as an insight where all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and everything clicks. When did that light bulb go off for you where you knew it was the brain specifically and the, how that brain ties back into to the body? When was it that you knew that was going to happen? What was the epiphany or light bulb moment for you? That's a great question. You know, I don't know if I have like a specific day where I like had a brick flaw on me and I was like, oh my God, like I love the brain, you know, like, but you know, I think one of the, the beautiful things that I have been witness to is in the years of being in clinical practice, I've seen so many amazing things happen with people who have been deemed, you know, broken or unable to be fixed or that they're stuck this way. And I think that's why I get up every day is because I know that the brain is limitless and it has so much power and an unharnessed potential that people can genuinely tap into if we understand it. And we're really dealing with a 40,000 year old brain stuck in the 21st century. Mm. And there are so many components that go into looking at how productivity hacks and understanding like how to, you know, think better or be more successful or more efficient with your thoughts or better with your time. And so, you know, I, I would say going back to the, my early days, like I've always, once again, just been curious. And I understand that every living thing has some sort of a nervous system or some sort of vibration or energy that keeps it alive and growing. To me, that's really intriguing because, you know, we ha have yet to be able to harness that energy. We have yet to be able to truly explain that energy. I mean, we still struggle with 
understanding and really giving a good explanation for what consciousness is or even where it lives in the brain or body. So I would say once I started just getting more educated and I got into college and I was learning about like just sports performance and understanding how to create training programs and get people to go from, you know, wherever they're at, college athlete to professional athlete, like what, what did they possess? And more importantly too, like what could I do to influence that? Mm. And, and when we got to those levels and I just took it further down the rabbit hole, when I would look at these neurodegenerative disorders and people having concussions, I mean, that, that hit home for me because I've played hockey and soccer my entire life. So, you know, this pursuit has kind of been a selfish endeavor because I've always wanted to find ways to, for me to have the best brain possible. I'd be lying to say that I wanted to be smarter and faster and stronger than everybody else too. Mm-hmm. So going through those stages and understanding that, and then more importantly, going through the educational components has just opened up Pandora's box for me that I don't think I'll ever be able to close it because it's just so infatuating. Like we just, we understand that we won't truly know everything about the brain and that's super cool and that's a great endeavor to chase after yeah and you said it man you can't close that box once it's open you can't unsee or unhear all the things that you've learned and seen and curious i I, you mentioned at a young age you were more inclined to chase the butterflies or the dragonflies but (laughs) then never told you that (laughs) but but, uh, just pitching you on the on the soccer field but then you you've managed to sort of transition in, in in a large sense it seems like athletics and sports you played hockey and soccer your whole life then you got into uh, a line of work that tethers you back to sports and the human body curious when did you start taking to sports and what was it that allowed you to make a shift from chasing butterflies to being more inclined to actually enjoying the sports well for the record i still chase butterflies so i should be honest about that um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've always been competitive. I've always been uh, all about just being better. And I think that's from having family members and, you know, awesome parents and grandparents, people who are influences in my life. But I think too, just, just seeing my friends get involved and all that stuff. Like I've been playing hockey as, as long as I can remember and, and started playing soccer and, and traveling, playing competitive, you know, before some of my peers even started doing it too. So I think it was just this endeavor of just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the freedom and, you know, sports to me have such a different context than just going out and playing and and having fun. Like, you know, I'm so fortunate that I've been able to be an athlete and play sports my entire life because it's taught me so many life lessons to win as a team, to lose as a team, to win individually, to lose individually. I could have the best game of my career, yet my team could still lose. And so sometimes you just have to swallow that pill and it teaches you so much. And, and from my standpoint too, now that I look back on it, I look at it and it was such a great way to train your brain. It's such a great way to promote development, to uh, promote higher level thinking. We understand what exercise and movement does for the brain and and Nat Benil, uh has this great line that she always talks about. She's like, you know, movement is the language of the brain. And I love that because it really is. I mean, when you take a look at babies moving in the womb, like there's a reason they're squiggling around and doing mm. all this stuff. Like they're literally driving their brain to change and grow. And there's a reason when they come out, we base a lot of their development off of motor milestones, crawling or, you know, uh, getting to seated standing, walking, talking and doing all that stuff. I mean, movement really is a significant portion of how we develop. It's a significant indicator of how well we can age as well. And there's there's so many things that go into it, but just simple movement is so effective and it's so frustrating to see people not moving as much as they as they could be or should be. Oh, I mean, I, you see it all the time, right? People in their stagnant, sedentary lifestyle where movement is the exception, not the rule. They're, they're sitting more than they're standing or walking or doing anything that allows them to be physical. And, and you brought up something I, I was going to touch on. And so I want to like capitalize on the fact that you brought it up. I read an article of yours recently and you referenced Newton's first law of motion. And I often think about the power of momentum and it, it, it bleeds through in life, in business. Everywhere I look, there is this common theme that I see, which is momentum and the power of it. I'm curious if you could speak to the value of motion, kind of go a layer deeper than what you just said. Like, why is it that motion is so important and why is it something that we should take advantage of? Yeah. I mean, to not get too scientific on any of that, I mean, motion is just something that we get to do for free and it's just, the inputs are so much outputs are so much greater than the inputs. I mean, realistically, when you understand, let's say, for instance, like just taking it from uh, just an athletic performance standpoint, I mean, we know you need to move. You can only watch so much film and read so many books. This, put it this way, you could, you could read 
as many books as you wanted to about how to do a push-up, but until you actually physically do that push-up, you won't truly understand how to do it. And people go talk about muscle memory and sports performance, but even in the boardroom and, and in business too, I mean, momentum is so key for startups, getting your first sale as a company. I mean, hiring your first manager, getting people to, you know, be independent, but also interdependent. Whereas, you know, you let somebody do their job, but they have to also give you feedback on what they're working on. So you're not doubling up on tasks. I mean, it's just so important. And momentum for me is, is kind of the snowball effect. I mean, you start off and Billy, you and I have both have been in this situation before where you're starting a company or a new task or a new project things are slow right the first day is like wow this is so tough but after the first day you're like okay well maybe i can do a little bit more than i did the day before and then over time you're like yep i got this like i'm, I'm hitting my flow state i'm doing really well i know what i'm going after same thing for a workout i mean how many people in seven months are going to have their new year's resolution to start getting fit again right they're going to go to the gym they're going to buy a new membership and the first two weeks are just going to suck. But the beauty of the brain and the body is that we know that it's going to be able to improve and change. And after three, four weeks of working out, you're like, cool, like maybe I'll do two Zumba classes a day, or maybe I'm going to lift more weight than what I was lifting before. So momentum is so key because if you can harness it, it's such a powerful tool for you to keep going and continuously just change and improve your, your situation, no matter what it is. So uh, for me, building momentum is key especially for those who feel like they're stuck because they feel like they're in like the momentum pit of never being able to get out. I've had patients there. I've had clients there. I've had friends there. And, you know, we've all been there at some point in our lives. It really matters on what you do to get out of that. And more importantly, keeping yourself in momentum as well, too, because it's such a powerful tool for us as humans to harness that because there's so many consequences for us that in a beneficial way to the brain and body, but also building a business, you know, having great relationships. Maybe you want to start a band, whatever it's going to be. You can use that as a way to facilitate change and growth. Yeah, I mean, all such great points. And going back to the the first law of motion, you know, if it's if something's resting, (laughs) and it's not moving, it's likely to not start moving, right? An object at rest stays at rest. Is that how it goes? I'm probably butchering exactly the... No, it's exactly it. I mean, object in motion will stay at motion until acted upon by another force. And same thing that is reverse. Object at rest will stay at rest. And, you know, it's a classic physics term, but if you use it as an analogy for life or for any other component of of what you're going through, I mean, it can be so powerful. I think the hard part for a lot of people is just getting stuck into that pit. Um, There's so many simple things that we can do. And that's why you know, the body and the brain and and looking at all this stuff from a different perspective to see how we can change and optimize business is a really intriguing aspect because we've always looked and been categorized. And, you know, if you're a hammer, you're looking for a nail. So if you're in business, you're looking for a business solution, right? But Steve Jobs, one of the most innovative creators out there, based the Apple storefront off the concierge service he saw at a hotel. And so you take a look at all of this innovation that's happened with us. There are so many things we can learn from so many other industries and so many other applications. And that's why a lot of people who come from different industries and melt together with other individuals of different industries, they come together with unique, innovative ideas that kind of take things from both industries and put them together into something new. And people are like, you know, my mind is blown by that. But what they've done is they've adapted and they've improved on a concept that's already either been outdated or uh, needed to change in the first place. So it's just an interesting conversation. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said about just gaining momentum in your life. Yeah. And speaking of momentum, you recently launched Shift. And I'm just reading an article from, I believe, the end of 2019. You have your practice. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your practice, but then also talk about Shift and what the vision is, what you're doing with Shift and and how you're helping businesses and individuals optimize their life. Yeah. So clinically, I'm still, you know, seeing patients and and working with um, the demographic. We talked about a lot of brain injuries and concussions and doing a lot of rehab with that. But shift came through me just spending time with patients and realizing how impactful work and work stressors, environmental workplace factors are for not only the recovery of people who've been suffering from these injuries, but more importantly too, like what they do to the average person. And so, you know, I just started to ask the question, like, is there a better way for us to do business? So, you know, Shift has been, you know, a year and a half, two years in the making of me gathering information, getting together, really just finding if there's a niche for it, if there's a need for it. And I think with all this stuff going on with COVID and people working from home, I mean, there's so many questions we don't have answers to. Like, what is the best way to set up your day to be successful? We don't really know. What is the best 
best way for you to uh, schedule meetings throughout the day? We, well, we don't really know for sure. What is the best way for you to uh, keep your energy levels high and make sure that you don't get burned out? Well, you know, we don't really know. We have really good theories, but that's what I'm chasing with Shift. And so I started Shift just based off the fact that I saw a lot of people struggling who were in the business world who were unfortunately getting burned out. They weren't fulfilled anymore. And we understand uh, wholeheartedly with all the Gallup polls out there about how impactful this is actually becoming on uh, workplace productivity and the profitability of companies. I think there was a stat that I read that it's there's somewhere like $500 billion a year is lost in the United States just due to the lack of sleep in the nah. United States workforce. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, it, if we can get half of that back by getting people to sleep better, I mean, look at what that would do for our GDP, our economy, but most of all, the quality of life of the people who are in those businesses. That's really what Shift has come to be about is I want people to be able to live the highest quality of life possible and make the most money possible and be able to be an asset to their business. And I think we're shifting towards, see what I did there? I think we're <laughs> shifting towards uh, that sort of mentality. It's just taken a bit, you know? And um, I think people are owning up to that and with all this stuff going on with our current world now with the state of affairs I hope people are kind of opening up to that too but I don't know where I see it going that's a great question and I don't know if that's a scary answer for me to give I have ideas I think that there's a lot to be said about creating online coursework for companies and employees but there's so many facets and tools that go into it at the end of the day, I think the market will help me dictate that. But more importantly, too, having conversations with companies is going to be a big component to that because each one of them is going to have something that they want differently for their their employees. For instance, some Silicon Valley startups may have great meditation rooms and they might have food on the table already for their employees, but they're working them from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. and they never disconnect. Like maybe they need a different intervention than the company who is still stuck back in the 80s and 90s doing the nine to five grind with no breaks and think that everybody should be 100% at all times. So I think that there are some interesting conversations that we're going to have in the future with that. And I just think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to help people live quality uh, lives while enjoying their work, mm. pretty much having their cake and eat it too. Yeah. And look, you said it, right? There's going to be different solutions for different companies and different situations. And you would not be serving them if you had a one size fits all approach because clearly different uh, situations call for different solutions. One of the things that I read when looking at your company is uh, a belief that you focus on prioritizing the business of health to improve the health of a business. And I really love the way, the symmetry of that statement, but but the, the meaning behind it. I wondered if you could kind of give a little bit more into how you created that or, or, and why that's so meaningful for you and Shift. How exactly do you do that? Great question. You know, it, it's really just based off the fact that we're when we look into productivity and we look into finding ways to get businesses to be more efficient, it just comes down to people. And it always will. Like we will always forever be in the people business, even if AI takes over and we're always talking to robot or whatever it's going to be in the future, right? I talk to Elon. He knows more than I do. The prioritizing the business of health really comes down to understanding that employees, and any individual in a company, from the CEO down to the janitor, they're all assets. And they're all assets to the business because if they weren't there, the business wouldn't get done. Decisions wouldn't get made. Productivity would be suffering as a consequence. But the hardest part about that is we don't really look at it that way. I mean, you know, there are companies that are getting better about having those conversations and employee wellness programs are coming out and people are trying to do things. But I don't think we've really hitched that threshold because not we're still having questions about what are we doing to optimize people's ability to neurologically stay integrated, but more importantly, productive, right? So if we have all the employees in a company come to work and they all function at like 50 to 60%, we either have two options, three options. One, we need to get rid of all of them. Two, we need to hire more people. Or three, we need to create an intervention to get them all to be coming to work at 100% and firing all cylinders. And I'm a big believer that you can put in an eight-hour workday in five or six hours, especially in the era that we're in right now, because we're not stuck in the industrial revolution anymore, where mm. it's power plant lines, technologies, where you're doing things that are sequential and you just need somebody to be there to put it together. I mean, you look at a lot of uh, you know the, the jobs that we have now, if people truly spent time 
being dedicated to the tasks that they're doing, not getting interrupted by Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and all these different things that come around or your coworker, Steve, who always comes by to say, hey, what's up? How's your golf game? If we eliminated a lot of those factors, we would free up a lot of our free time to have those conversations at other times. But more importantly, too, we could get way more output out of our employees. And it's not about like getting people to just like be robots to come in and check in and check out. It's more important that they are engaged. They feel like they're a part of a change and they're bringing value to their company. So prioritizing the business of health just goes to say, well, let's get these people to be as healthy as possible. And for me, from that standpoint, I'm just looking for ways to help people update their internal software. What can I do neurologically, physically, nutritionally, energetically to try and get people to come to work, put in a full day's work for as long or short as that needs to be, and just crank through and get stuff done. And at the end of the day, they still feel energized to be able to go home and hang with their kids or get a workout in or, you know, go to their improv class, whatever it's going to be. You know, prioritizing the business of health to influence the, you know, the health of a business, we're really looking at bottom line uh, profitability for companies. So if you're a company and you have 100 employees, well, what if you got 5% increased output out of every single employee just by having them implement some simple strategies and daily steps to just take care of their health? You'd have an exponential growth of the company by not having to change any of the systems, any of the business that you did. You would have to acquire new customers. All you would be doing is just squeezing more lime from that, uh, more juice from that lime and really getting more productivity from your employees. Employee engagement is an unfortunate stat that we have in the United States right now. I mean, something like, I think it's like 50 to 60% of the employees who are currently employed right now are either inactively or actively disengaged at work. Mm. Their quality of life is suffering. They don't like what they're doing. They don't feel valued. They don't get good feedback. They can't give good feedback. I mean, if you read Kim Scott's Radical Radical Candor book, she talks about a lot of these stats and just having communication. Effective communication is probably a better term I should use. Mm. So there's so many components that go into it. And I think that's why I struggle understanding what it will finally look like in the end. But I think that it's a part of a bigger momentum shift just to get people to open their eyes and be more aware of it. And I think that when we start looking into that and having those hard, hard conversations, everybody's different, just like everybody has a different brain. And that's beautiful. And that's what makes it so unique and such a great opportunity for us to impact the quality of life of everybody in a business is that we can get business to be more productive by getting people to be more productive by affecting everyone's health in a positive way. And if we could genuinely do that, what a great world we would be able to live in. Yeah, man. Oh, so, so much there that I want to unpack. One thing in particular is this whole, what I call the distraction monster, because we've all dealt with this in various parts of our lives. Having been in corporate for 10 years over the last 10 years, luckily for me, I was always working remotely, but I did go to the office quite frequently. And every time I went, there was a common theme and that was distraction was everywhere. How do we, or how do you, as, as somebody that specializes in this, recommend that we neurologically use our brain to prevent these distractions from disrupting our day? Because I also so much, like, I wanted to stand up and like give you a standing ovation when you said you could get an eight hour day done in less, but, <laughs> but the converse is also true. You can get an eight hour done in, in longer because you get distracted in order for you to get an eight hour day in, you have to spend more time. And I've been in that situation more often than I'd like to admit. So tell me how my brain is making this happen and how can I prevent my brain from making this happen? All great questions. Well, so first of all, like I just got reading, I just got done reading the book or I was listening to the book, um, Indistractable. And it's, it's a book written and it's based off of, there was this, I forget what the name of the book is, but it's just like this big yellow book that was written in like the early nineties talking about like just like psychology and behavioral like psychology. And it just goes to, sh it just talked about how humans are stimulated and they like go to a casino and you understand this, right? There's lights and there's noises and you're lighting up your brain and you're like, oh, shiny thing. Like, what is that? And so what these different companies have done who've created apps and like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram 
They've done a phenomenal job of hijacking our, our brains and our cortexes for taking away our attention spans, pretty much. They've done a great job and they know what they're doing, right? The, the scrolling endless news feed on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter is there for a reason. You never get to the end of it. And if you do, guaranteed, they're going to be more and more and more for you to look at. So, you know, some simple habits and tactics that I just start with people if they're really struggling with that. And if so, this is different if they're on their own versus if they're in a business. We know that open layouts and open like floor kind of you know, office settings have been an epic failure because of the fact that people are so vulnerable to having distractions. If you're working at home, you're by yourself, first things first, like get your notifications off your phone, right? Like unless you are somebody who needs to be on Slack 24 seven, or unless you're somebody who's like waiting for an email, don't check it. Like, you know, check your email twice a day if you can, and then get your stuff done. In Invincible, he talked about the company culture at Slack. And you would think for Slack, you know, you can you can have a conversation all times throughout the day. And you would think at that company, they would just be, they'd just be mindless. They'd be running around like a bunch of zombies because they would always be inundated with messages and information. They're not. They're very intentional with how they use Slack. The company motto is come to work, get your work done, and then go home. And it's something along those lines. And it's, it's printed on the wall when you walk into the company. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's brilliant because they understand how impactful their technology is. And, and we really should too. People will spend endless amounts of time scrolling and searching. Here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. What you need to do is you need to plan your day. You need to say from 8.30 to 9 in the morning, this is what I do, 8.30 to 9 in the morning, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm liking people's comments and I'm commenting on their posts and I'm doing stuff and then I'm posting on myself and then I'm done. I'm done until 4.30, 5 o'clock at night when I have another half an hour for me to go on social media I do the same thing. Check my Instagram, check my Facebook, whatever it's going to be, and then I'm done. You can still go and use those applications and those platforms. It's just you have to be intentional with it. Because at the other times throughout the day, I'm writing articles, I'm either seeing patients, I'm doing something else to either push my business or to challenge my thoughts to grow and change and be a better me. So it really comes down to owning your time and understanding that your time is valuable. So why are you giving it away to all these other distractions? It's kind of a classic stoic mindset trick that, I mean, I'm just huge into stoicism and I love Ryan Holiday's The Daily Stoic. And he, he talks a lot about how, you know, thousands of years ago, these amazing philosophers like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and all these amazing individuals who are writing a lot had these same issues that we did. It's just, they didn't have smartphones. They had, you know, beggars <laughs> knocking on their door. They had a, you know, somebody come by and a friend come say hi. And so it's the same thing over and over again. It's just uh, we're expecting a different result each time. So we have to harness our time and value it. And more importantly, too, don't give it away like it's candy. Like if you want more time, you can take some time back. You just have to take the steps. And really just it comes down to creating daily habits. Like that's so important and so impactful because your habits will dictate your outcomes no matter what. And that's not always as easy for people because that means they have to change and grow and dig a little deeper into what they are and aren't doing. And they have to be disciplined, right? And that's, that's hard for so many of us. I, I readily admit that's an area where I, I often think to myself, I can be more disciplined in areas of my life. And I love that you talked about the time blocking and not being kind of the perpetual email checker constantly in email. I've seen this far too often with the people that I work with where, yeah, they respond quickly, but they're also 90% of their day is spent emailing people and emailing becomes their job. And I just don't think that is the the recipe for productivity or success. And so if you have specific times during the day, and it may be some people it's four times in a day or five times a day and other people it's one time in a day, they check messages. And again, it's, it's going to be personalized for each individual. I wonder what other suggestions you have, because I know you're really big into workplace productivity and optimizing the workplace. What are some other tips or tricks or suggestions? suggestions you have for anyone looking, whether they work at home or they work in an office, let's face it, most people are working from home. What other ideas or suggestions do you have? I love turning off the notifications. I think that's really strong and powerful. What else do you have in that realm? Yeah, I, 
it's funny. I've had somebody, I had one other person ask me that too. And I go, well, it's interesting because a lot of the tactics I use with shift really can be transferred to anything. You know, none of these things really involve work. I mean, they just really involve your personal daily habits and, and what you do at home. I mean, we know that fatigue can play a significant role in your attention span. Fatigue can play a very, very significant role in how you interpret body language and emotion. So for instance, let's say you're fatigued, you know, that partial smile looks more like a flat frown. That flat frown looks more like a sad face and you're more apt to perceive anger or lash out and and be a little bit more emotional with that. I mean, simple, simple things like you just, you got to get sleep, right? I mean, we know what sleep does for us. It lets you recharge the batteries, lets your gut heal up. It lets your brain take out the trash, lets you consolidate memories. I mean, you will always be benefited by just having more sleep because you will be more resilient and more resistant to having distractions. You'll be able to say no. There are some psychological principles that are still up to debate uh, today. Uh, One of them is ego depletion. And so um, there's a book written by Dan Ariely. They're talking about like the dishonest truth about dishonesty. Something along those lines. I don't know if that's the actual title, but it's close enough that you can search it on Google and find it. But he, he he's a he's a psychologist. He's a behavioral psychologist who talks about um, uh, all of these factors that go into like being honest or like giving yourself honesty scores. And in one of the chapters, he talks about ego depletion. And what that is is it's the, like like the more decisions you make throughout the day. Later in the day, the less energy you're going to be able to have to override impulsive decisions. So for instance, let's say you're starting a diet, you're great in the morning, you got your breakfast, you made your lunch, and all of a sudden you are at the end of the day, you're exhausted and somebody puts a cheesecake in front of you. Ego depletion is a concept saying that you are more apt to have that piece of cheesecake and to rationally justify it after eating it just because you are a little bit more fatigued or you've used up enough of your bandwidth. And this is one of the reasons why Mark Zuckerberg and a couple of the Silicon Valley unicorn founders just wear the same clothes every day. I know. They don't don't want to spend any more of their bandwidth on making simple decisions like that. They want to reserve it for saying, hey, should we do this for marketing or should we do this for new coding or should we bring this out for a new platform? Like they want to use their bandwidth for making big impact decisions that are going to be far more bang for their buck than saying, oh, should I brush my teeth this morning or not? Well, of course you should, right? So quit thinking about it. Like you should just automate a lot of this stuff. Your brain is so good at doing that. Like neurons that fire together will wire together, right? That's a classic neurological concept. The old school thought is it took 21 days to form a new habit. Well, lo and behold, I have some good luck for people. It doesn't just take 21 days. It takes 66 days. So get Mm -hmm. used to it and (laughs) start grinding. Wow. The hard part with a lot of that is those simple tactics are so easy to do. And as Jim Rohn says, they're so easy not to do. Life hacks, everyone's looking for the next best thing. Well, I would argue that get back to your basics. You got to sleep well. You got to eat well. Nutrition is the foundation of, of your ability to feed your body and provide the raw materials to help you rebuild your house. And we were talking a little bit before this too about how you know we're understanding how important the gut is and gut bacteria and all that stuff. 70% of the serotonin, the happy feel-good neurotransmitter everybody's chasing, 70% of that uh, neurotransmitter is produced in your gut by Mm. intestinal flora and by a bunch of different, it's called the enteric nervous system in your gut. It's comprised of 100 million neurons in your your stomach. And it's so powerful and impactful because that is a super highway into your brain. And that's actually how they think Parkinson's starts now. That's actually how they think um, uh, multiple sclerosis starts, is it starts by low-grade chronic infections in your gut or your digestive system those inflammatory um, markers and immune cells actually crawl through the vagus nerve into the brainstem, into the brain. They start affecting it. You start losing neurons. And lo and behold, you know, 20 years down the road, you have this long-term inflammatory response going on. And we recognize it as Parkinson's. Um, but, you know, we, you know, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, it could have been something different. So we're learning a lot about how food affects you. And I have a great friend who's in med school right now. He's going into psychology. They're using nutrition to help people with mental health disorders. I mean, how cool is that? They just understand how impactful all that nutrition is for for the brain and for producing neurotransmitters and just getting people to feel better. So nutrition's a huge component. We've already talked about movement. I mean, movement will always be the language of the brain. Uh, Exercise is so impactful. I mean, even doing five to 10 minutes of low-grade exercise has been shown to like vastly improve cognitive scores for individuals who have Alzheimer's, people who are uh, in their later stages of life and they feel like things aren't as easy for them anymore, 
movement is one of the best ways for you to maintain the integrity of your brain and body because your body and brain were built for that. And there's that the only way you're going to get that benefit is by actually physically moving. You could watch as many films of people moving as you want to, but it's never going to be the same as you actually doing it. More importantly, too, you know, hydration status is such a big factor for us, too. I think one of the key components with all this stuff is just realizing that you will always be your habits. And these are such simple things for you to implement. But having somebody there to coach you and consult you and more, more specifically, get an individualized program for you together to keep you accountable, more importantly, too, to get you to reach the goals that you're looking for is a really important key. So let's say you have an executive who works out a lot. Well, that's great and awesome. But if he's not sleeping... He's never going to recover. He's never going to reap full benefits of, of his workouts. More importantly, too, he's going to cognitively suffer as a consequence of that. There's such a balance between all that. And you can have your cake and eat it, too. It's just you really need to understand these mechanisms. More importantly, plan your day out and create those habits. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle is just the coaching component of keeping somebody and having somebody keep them accountable. But more importantly, too, you'd be surprised at how quickly can, people can change. And I think that's one of the things that makes me excited about Shift is I've seen people who have been completely written off by the medical system uh, being stuck with concussions and brain injuries and all this stuff. And I've seen them literally heal within days, weeks, months of doing rehab. And that's so cool because you're literally using the brain and this amazing organ, this amazing like neurological system that we all possess. And you're just updating it like by by using your environment and so you know we can do that in the clinic we can also do that in the boardroom we can also do that in your home office it's just understanding those principles and then applying them and then just hammering it out and making sure you create a habit out of all of it so how do we how do we update it because I, I get what you're saying about the habits and i love that you said like everyone's looking for this magic bullet right well it actually comes down to the basic fundamentals Always are you will. sleeping are you eating right are you taking care of your body are you moving are you setting up a, a plan to uh, approach your day with intention and so all of these things you know on one hand they seem basic on the other hand Yes, they're basic for a reason because if you don't have these, everything else is kind of meaningless. You could have little Correct. hacks or tricks or things like that, but those are shortcuts for like the smallest minute detail. If you don't, like you said, if you're great, if you work out or you have a physical trainer, but then you're not sleeping well, you need both, right? And so I'm curious from a neurological perspective, you mentioned 66 days, you know, this habit forming, it sounds like that's a theme that we, we really need to create these habits. But for somebody that is has struggled with this, uh, and I'll raise my hand, there's certain habits that I've yet to build, like meditation, like I haven't built that habit yet. And, and I'm curious, what is, what is your suggestion from a, either from a neurological perspective or even just a basic sort of you know, approach or, or thought process behind really embracing habits and forming habits that will stick? Well, as a recovering perfectionist, I will just tell you, you just have to start. It's not that easy, right? Everybody puts up a front and, and I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Like, you know, paralysis by analysis of saying, well, this isn't good enough. Should I publish this? Or people can actually like it. And it's like, get over it. Like, just learn from it and then grow and then pivot. And then you can, you can shift what you're doing. James Clear wrote a great book, Atomic Habits. And he talks about some examples of this, of just starting habits and people slowly getting more into a routine and a cycle. And he has this example of an individual who wanted to get back into shape, right? So what he did is he would just put his workout shoes on and then he'd just take them off. And then he would do that again the next day, but they'd be on for a little longer and then he would just take them off. And then over time, what he did is he put his workout shoes on and then he would actually drive to the gym parking lot, but he wouldn't go in. And then he just drive back home. So what he's trying to get across is that if you gradually get yourself into doing these habits, these cycles, these simple, simple strategies your brain won't think anything of it. You won't put the front up anymore of saying, oh my gosh, you know, I, I haven't worked out in six months and all of a sudden I'm expected to go do a full Zumba class. No, you're not. You are putting that stress on you internally and you are setting yourself up for failure inevitably because you can't fulfill that quota, right? So what we really should be doing is creating these simple reminders, these simple tactics and these simple habits. I mean, how many times have you driven to work and not really thought about driving to work and all of a sudden you're there and you're like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. You've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. You didn't have to think about it, right? You automated that. And these habits that, that I'm talking about, exercise and making good meals and meal planning on Sunday nights or like getting good sleep or even meditation, you'll never be perfect at it for the first, the first 
go about, right? It's kind of like you wanting to get into acting and you expecting somebody to hand you an Oscar way before you even uh, acted in your first film. It's not possible. So we have to take these simple steps and these simple tactics and just really slowly get into them. And it's easier said than done, but you just have to do the work. I mean, we are all so good at, and I'm guilty of this too, reading books and understanding business and finance and marketing and all that stuff. But until you put that to the test and really get it out there, you're not going to truly understand or more importantly, have that emotional outcome or that emotional tie to it. And mm-hmm. once you get hooked by that, you can take that and circling this back to the beginning conversation, using that as momentum to carry you forward. You shouldn't expect to go do a full CrossFit workout your first time. They should just get you in the gym and show you what's going on. And then you should come back the next day because then you'll be hungry to want to get into the gym and maybe carry that over to a workout after that. So like I said, everybody's different. We all have different motivators and, and reasons for why we do things. I think really digging deep and understanding why on an emotional level, like asking yourself that why question three times in a row. Well, why do you do this? Okay. Why do you really want to do this? Okay. Why do you actually want to do this? Getting to that point can be so beneficial because when you understand your why you can use that as a motivator for you. And I think breaking down those barriers that we all internally place on ourselves for saying, oh, well, I want to be a world-class guitar player, but I'm not Eddie Van Halen yet. Well, you know, Eddie Van Halen wasn't Eddie Van Halen when he was starting out. He was probably Mm -hmm. looking up to, you know, Jimi Hendrix or, you know, all these other great guitar players who were there before him. But that's That's okay because he put in the work and he did it on a daily basis. And over time, I tell you what, playing eight hours a day of of guitar was like walking the park for him. But that wouldn't be walking the park for the beginner who was starting out playing guitar because their fingers are bleeding because they can't even play a chord, right? That's right. So it's all relative based off of that. And I think we all put a lot of stress and pressure on our shoulders. We just have to realize slow and steady will win the race. And more importantly too, your brain will start changing and growing as a result of the stimulation and the environment you put yourself into. And I think that's an important factor to take into consideration. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, one of the things you said in there, which I really keyed in on was this idea of you sometimes don't even realize you're driving somewhere going point A to point B because it's autopilot. And I'm curious why the mind does that. Because one of the things that I recently learned and studied was this element of surprise and how how our mind reacts to surprise when something's new or novel or different, our brain is triggered to be more alert uh, as opposed to things that we are used to and our brain kind of ignores those to a large degree. And I'm curious if you could speak to that a little bit. I would imagine that this is something that evolutionarily speaking, we are protecting ourselves. And if it's something that we're used to, chances are it's the brain doesn't need to pay as close attention. On the other hand, if something's new, it could be a dangerous something and therefore we need to be more alert. Is it as simple as that or what's the neurological response that exist to new things versus things we're used to. Yeah. You know, novelty will always be king for us neurologically. And, and that's a good thing and that's a bad thing, right? So uh, finding that new uh, partner who we just met for the first time, I mean, they're so beautiful and they're so amazing and they're so great. And they probably still are that way 5, 10, 20 years down the road, but the novelty wears off sometimes, right? You seeing that new shiny car that you see on the street, you're like, dang, this thing is so cool and has everything. You buy it and all of a sudden you drive it for you and you're like, man, that... It really wasn't that fast, right? It's not my Tesla Roadster, right? I mean, it's the same thing over and over again. Our brains are just hardwired for that. And the reason why is because our brains are really efficient. Our brains are so efficient and that's a really good thing, right? Mm. You don't have to think about how to walk every morning when you get up. You just know how to do it because you've done it so many times. And that serves us so well in so many different facets. But that can also be a catch-22. And there's there's a second side to that coin because more importantly too, like, How many people plan on gaining 30, 40, 50 pounds throughout the next two years of their lives? None, right? Nobody wants Mm -hmm. to, but people are going to. And it's a slippery slope and it's a slow, gradual decline with that. It's a slow bleed. And so, you know, our brains are hardwired to take in any sort of information in our environment and compare it to what we've seen before and then our set expectations and then we get some output, right? So inputs should match, match outputs. If I push the you know space bar button on my computer keyboard, I should see a space pop up somewhere in my text and that's exactly what should happen. But if I push that space bar button and all of a sudden I get a control alt delete and I delete my entire paragraph, 
Things are different, and things didn't go the way that they were. And that's what happens with a lot of individuals who have concussions and brain injuries. I mean, inputs don't match outputs anymore, and there's just so much that can go on with that. But for those who are in the, the general healthy population, novelty is king, and novelty can be used in some very beneficial ways. It's just It just depends on the task that you're, that you're going after. The hard part with novelty is sometimes novelty will induce stress, mm. and, and it, there's nothing that you can do about that. I mean, you're dealing, once again, with a 40,000-year-old brain stuck in the 21st century that is packed full of environmental triggers and distractions and anything and everything that you could imagine because we are now in a globalized state of information where I can literally type in anything I want to my phone and I could have search engines come up from all over the place in the world telling me information. So you have this fear factor that sets in, but the cool thing with that, the fun thing about getting more into like behavioral psychology and understanding just how we kind of tick upstairs psychologically is once you label a fear, instead of you just having these fear centers of your brain, just go off and say, stress, 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 stress. If you label a fear, that labeling actually engages your frontal lobe. And you can think of that as like where you live cognitively, like the CEO of the brain. When you label a fear, that frontal lobe comes into that fear center and says, hey, shut up. We don't need you anymore. And things calm down. So if you're literally in a situation where you're getting ready for a you know a big meeting in the boardroom, you're, you're stressed out. You're like, what if they don't like it? What if the proposal's wrong? Like all this stuff. If you label those fears or if you communicate those fears and you engage the frontal lobe and have some sort of conversation about that, you dampen that stress response. Now, I'm not saying you completely take it away, right? You're still going to be jittered. Maybe you had too many cups of coffee. Maybe this is like the biggest client of your life, but things will change for you physiologically. And we understand that because they've done numerous studies on this with MRIs and CT scans and all these really cool things that we can digitalize now. And so if you can harness those powers and just use these simple tactics, it once again comes down to a habit, understanding this super old brain that's stuck in the 21st century, and then using that as an advantage to put you in a better situation for you to respond favorably to get a better outcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. (laughs) 